We're just going to keep working on this. I, I did want to share just a random story with you guys. So those of you guys that were here um, last week, I talked about the fact that I, I rode on a bus. Remember this? Last week, a church bus to this church down in North Kansas City. They used to come to my apartment complex and pick kids up. Okay, I didn't normally go to that church, but they came in and grabbed me. So this week, pay no attention to the man very close to my rear end right now. Okay. Okay. Um, so this week I'm having a meeting with a lady who's about my age. Um, I'm working with her on some care portal stuff in Kansas City. And she says she went to North Kansas City High School. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and she says, um, all right, now hang on for real. All right, so she says that she went to that church that I, the bus would come and pick me up, and I said, I just talked about that in my sermon last week. She said that she, um, as a kid, about the same time as I was riding this bus, her, her job at the church was to ride the bus to pick the kids up, to like make the kids feel welcome that get on the bus. <laughs> I was like, so we were probably on the bus together. How random is that? So anyways... Nobody cares, but hey, you know, it's a good thing to distract you from the um, microphone situation. So um, guys, this is, this is proof number one that Satan doesn't want us to talk about what we're talking about today because he's making me use this stupid thing, okay? So, but honestly, right, we've talked about this. Any movement towards God is going to be opposed by the enemy, right? So the stuff we're talking about um, and talking about grace um, is, is powerful stuff that Satan does not want us to get. Because if we get this stuff, it's going to revolutionize our lives, the way that we view God and, and ourselves and others. And so y'all need to be praying <laughs> through this time, okay? Not only for yourselves, but for me as we deliver this stuff. So this is the third um, week of our sermon series um, called Moved by Grace, which looks at how do we go about living the Christian life? So we talked about, you know, first of all, you have to be living the Christian life, all right, in order for this, what we're going to talk about, the context of this is in the context of a covenant relationship between us and God. And so that's why week one, a couple weeks ago, we started off talking about the importance for us to understand what our situation is apart from him. Okay, so that's where we uh, began. We started talking about um, that each of us is born with this sin nature, this innate desire to do life on our terms. Every one of us, when we came into this world, we wanted to be at the center. We wanted to be on the throne of our life, calling the shots. Scripture says very clearly that we were all born enemies of God, deserving of wrath, uh, dead in our transgressions, powerless to change our situation. And that is a spiritual reality that every human has to come to terms with. Because if we don't come to terms with that that is our true situation, then the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ will really kind of be um, overlooked and just kind of disregarded. It won't mean much to you. Okay? We were all in need of a Savior. And the amazing grace of God broke into kind of our dead-end story and gave us a way out. And here's the good news. The good news is that the way out was made entirely possible by Christ. 
He who was without sin became sin for us. He was bloodied. He was bruised. He was pierced for our transgressions. He took on the sins of the whole world on the cross so that you and I might be set free from the slavery of sin. Okay, it's been by grace that we have been saved. Jesus paid it all. And then he invites us to step into this new relationship, this new identity that we have now as, as adopted sons and daughters of the king. And if you're not hearing that as good news this morning, if even me just retelling this for a few seconds here, this brief gospel story doesn't stir something in your heart of kind of like appreciation and gratitude, then I'm not sure that you've encountered my Jesus. Our faith journey has to begin with not just an intellectual response, but with an emotional response to the gospel in this encounter with our Savior and Lord. The unbelievable transformation of who we once were apart from Christ to who we are in Him, when we really get that, it ought to wreck us. It ought to wreck us. Because we did nothing to deserve God's goodness towards us. And once we enter into that covenant relationship with Him, and when I say the word covenant, I mean like binding, like irrefutable, okay? We then have to learn how do we navigate that relationship with him the rest of our life? It's a learning process that we all have to engage. And, and along the way, uh, last week we talked about that every one of us is going to come to this fork in the road on our spiritual journey where we're going to have to make a choice about which path we're going to go down, what perspective we're going to have. And last week we talked about these competing paths here, pleasing God or trusting God. And last week, uh, we're, we're kind of following along with uh, a character in a book uh, called The Cure, who's kind of engaging this, this question. And the character in the, in the book decided that pleasing God was the path that made the most sense to him. I mean, after all that God had done for us, it makes sense that we would want to, to please him as a response. And we watched as the path through the woods led to this ornate building that had this big mantra written on the side of it that said, striving hard to be all God wants me to be. And something about that makes sense. Something about that strikes a chord with the performer in most of us. We know what it's like to be rewarded when we perform. And inside the building was a, a large meeting room that was called the Room of Good Intentions with a banner that reads this, working on my sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. And I like the sound of that too because that's something that I can control, right? It's all about how much effort I put into this relationship. So I'm just going to outwork other people at this Christianity thing, and then become more godly, right? More right behavior, less bad behavior, will equal godliness. I'm sure of it. But the author reminded us of some very powerful truths. We looked at these two things last week. He said, we can never resolve our sin by working on it. And that actually, when we, when we strive to sin less, we don't. It seems really counterintuitive. <laughs> and when through our good intention self-effort we fail 
again. We're left hopeless, discouraged, most likely filled with shame. And when we can't win by performing, we make the only choice that seems reasonable at the time. We put on a mask. And we just hide our inner failures from others so that we don't get found out. But in so doing, we forget a very important truth about God. And that's that he already knew that we couldn't win the pleasing God game. Right? We looked at last week, we looked at Adam and Eve and when they failed in the garden. When they failed, it was the first time they'd ever failed, the first time they'd ever disobeyed. They didn't know how God was going to respond. But what did God do? It says that God came looking for them. He came looking for them. God's grace-filled heart always initiates restored intimacy. His love for us isn't based on our ability to perform. So maybe we need to at least wander down the other path for a while, this path of trusting God, and kind of see where it leads to. Besides, if you're like me, this mask is getting a little bit itchy. <laughs> These people in this room that I've been sharing life with, this room of good intentions, um, they don't be, seem to be experiencing a whole lot of joy in their Christian journey. So you can put that slide back up there of our two arrows. So the main character, he heads back to the fork in the road, and he begins traveling down this new path called Trusting God. And eventually, the path leads to another grand building in the woods with this mantra written over it. Living out of who God says I am. Living out of who God says I am. Now, if you're like me as a young Christian, I would have had no idea what that meant. <laughs> Zero. Okay? Performing. Striving. I get that life. But this? This is going to take some time. And as he reaches for the doorknob, written above the doorknob is just one little word. It's the word humility. And I can tell you as a, a person who struggles with pride... <laughs> About this time, I'm, I'm starting to get pretty nervous. <laughs> and as he enters the main meeting room, he's greeted by a hostess who warmly says, Welcome to the room of grace. And the man quickly discovers several differences in the feel of this room. Here, if somebody comes up to you and asks how you're doing, um, they won't take fine for an answer. And they don't say fine and they kind of quickly move on to the next thing. In fact, fine um, isn't, isn't an acceptable answer at all. Because folks in the room of grace understand how fragile we all are. They agree with the assessment made by the Apostle Peter who wrote this in 1 Peter 2.11. He said, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You see, as, as kingdoms of the, the uh, I'm sorry, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, 
Okay, that's, that's all of our new identities in Christ, okay? We are now strangers in this world. We're strangers in this world that's waging war against our souls. And in this reality, we are bound to feel like this world is no longer home for us. And we're bound to take some hits in this life from the brokenness within us, from the brokenness without in the room of good intentions, people were living under this false assumption that through their good efforts, that they could somehow avoid pain and suffering. But there's no such illusion here. And there seems to be deep community as our fragility is embraced. The room of grace. As I told you guys last week, um, for most of my Christian experience, um, I really would say that I didn't really have much of a context for what grace really meant. Um, but as you look at the word grace, it's, it's in the New Testament 110 plus times, okay, depending on what translation you use. Anyone want to take a stab at trying to give a, a biblical definition of grace? If you had to sum up what is grace, what would you say? How would you define it? Anyone? Bueller. Yes. Getting something you don't deserve. Nope, it's what you say before you eat dinner. Sorry, Olivia. <laughs> Thanks for trying. No, she got it right. All right? It's a gift. We're getting something that we don't deserve. So here are just a handful of verses on grace in Scripture. Obviously, there's 110, so I just chose a few. The first one just talks about Jesus himself. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 5.20, the law, the Old Testament, you know, Ten Commandments plus all these other things was brought in so that we, so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I want to explain that to you real quickly, okay? The Ten Commandments was not given to us as a list of rules to follow, okay? The Ten Commandments was given to us so that we would realize that we could never live up to them to point us towards a Savior. Does that make sense? So I always get intrigued by these Christians that want to put up Ten Commandments in schools, which is fine, whatever, but I, I'm wondering, what are they thinking that that's going to do? If it's not just to alert the children there that they can never do it, then it's kind of pointless. If it's there as a list of rules for the kids to follow, probably not going to happen. Anywho, that's a side note. 2 Corinthians 4.15 as this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And then finally, Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, so that's just a little spattering of some verses there, okay? I actually want you to take your Bibles and I want you to flip to the very last verse in the whole Bible, 
It's Revelations 22, 21. Revelation 22, 21. I'm going to put Brent on the spot. Brent, I want you to read that out loud. Okay, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Yeah. Grace is the, has the very last word in Scripture, right? The very last thing that's communicated to us is about the grace of the Lord Jesus. So, what problem does the pleasing God crowd have with grace? Okay, we're going to think about that for a minute. The religious people in Jesus' time, a lot of church people here today, or not here, but just in general in our culture, um, a lot of those folks have built their persona of spiritual pride on performing and are afraid that talking about grace too much will allow people to take advantage of God. Okay? And it'll end up being Christianity light, watered down, lukewarm. And to them, it's a gamble on God's part to trust us with the concept of grace. But we've got to remember that two things are true, okay? One is that when we surrender our life to Christ, we are given a new nature, all right? We're born with a sin nature. When we come to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says anyone who is now in Christ is a new creation, right? And, and other verses say that we were given a new heart, a new mind, okay? We are, we're completely different than we were before. And as a new creation, the ruling desire of our hearts now is not to see how much we can get away with. Okay? I want to say that again. <laughs> As a new creation, the ruling desire of our heart isn't to see how much we can get away with, but it's to honor God with our life. So if you come across somebody who calls himself a Christian, but is constantly trying to kind of lower the bar of what it means to be a Christian, is constantly trying to kind of push the, the edges to kind of see how, how far can I go, what can I still do to, and still be considered a Christian, then they've missed the concept of what following Christ is all about, okay? Because somebody who's been changed, the ruling desire of their heart is to please him, not to see how much they can get away with and still be called a Christian. Does that make sense? Secondly, as new creations, we've also been filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? The very presence of God in our lives. And the Holy Spirit's job is when we start wandering off and, and, and lowering the bar and, and trying to make excuses, the Holy Spirit's job is to correct us, to teach us, to rebuke us if we need to be rebuked, to, to challenge our hearts. When we get too prideful, when we get too self-sufficient, we've got this internal correcting mechanism in us, Okay? In Paul's writings about grace, he's primarily saying that he wants people to move beyond just compliance to Christian rules, to a place where people obey because their hearts have been wrecked by God's love. All of our striving and our self-effort and our deep cleaning doesn't impress God. In fact, it's probably pretty distressing to him when he says that he's already made us holy. 
He's already made us righteous. He's forgiven us. He calls us saints to watch us scurrying around trying to hustle for his love. I want you to think about this for a moment. What do our pleasing efforts and activities communicate to him about his gift of grace for us? That it's not enough. That it's insufficient to meet our junk. But remember what Jesus told Paul. Now, outside of the Gospels, guys, you don't see the, the letters in red much, the rest of Scripture. Okay, but this is one time where Jesus breaks through and says this to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, right? He says, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Okay. My grace is sufficient. So this boils down to a faith issue, doesn't it? We have to trust that God's grace is sufficient for our mess. That we don't have to perform or be better for him to love and accept us. Hebrews 11.6 says this, and without faith it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, okay? So I want to I have a change of perspective here, okay? Pleasing is not a means to our godliness. It's the fruit of our godliness when it flows out of trust. Okay, I want you to respond to that. How does that hit you? Anyone willing to share? I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah? Your trusting path is splitting? Oh, is, is pleasing. I gotcha. Yeah, he says that, that that trusting path is actually pleasing him or pleasing him through trusting him, right? Yeah, that's good. That, that blew my mind. I'm, I was lost there for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 it's not that we're, we're not supposed to try to please God, but it's what is our starting point, right? What is our starting point for doing that? What does it flow out of, okay? And we're going to talk more about that here in a second. So we have to trust God with our pile of sin. Okay, remember last week we talked about the perspective towards sin, our sin in the pleasing God, 
path or perspective, right? We talked about how, like, we're here, and then our big pile of all the messes that we make in life is here, and then God is somewhere over here. And that the role of our Christian faith, then, is to try through through good behavior and right activity, right? Having quiet times and going to Bible studies and going to church and tithing and serving and more good behavior and less bad behavior that somehow we're going to be able to kind of whittle that pile down enough (laughs) to where we can kind of step through it enough to get over it to have this intimacy and relationship with God. But until it gets down to kind of like a certain level, God's just kind of like, uh, you know, (laughs) you can do better. Come on, (laughs) you know? Make yourself worthy of my presence, so to speak. All right? But as many of us have learned over time, despite our efforts, the pile doesn't really seem to decrease over the years. And here's the change in perspective that we need. Because the banner in the room of grace proclaims this. Standing with God with my sin in front of us, working on it together. Guys, the truth is that once we entered a relationship with Christ, God was never on the other side of our pile. So how does that image strike you? as we kind of compare it to what we talked about last week. How would, how would believing that perspective impact the way that you go about living and loving others? What do you guys think? Yes, Randy. Okay, never alone, never again. All right, good. God's with me, right? He's not somebody that I have to go find (laughs) at the end of my cleaning my life up. What else? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it paints the picture that I can't clean my pile to get to the other side. I can't do it myself. God has to help me do that. So it's humbling because you have to admit, I can't clean my life up enough to please him. Good. Anyone else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can, you're free enough. And I think, yeah, when, when you say that, I think, you know, the emphasis, um, the emphasis in the pleasing God path is the pile. The emphasis in the trusting God's path is who's with me. You see that shift? That's huge. That's good. And then we didn't, yes, Aaron? <laughs> Probably not. No, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So she's talking about how this affects our community and the way that we love other people. Like if God's standing with me and maybe the person that sinned against me, we're, we're still all on the same team here. <laughs> um, doesn't it also hopefully make us a lot more gracious towards others? To understand that God's with them in their mess and he's taking care of their pile, <laughs> that I don't have to take care of their pile or call out their pile or show them how horrible their pile is right? Should change our perspective for how we relate to people as well. And so one of the questions that I kind of thought of is, is kind of like, how, how can God do that? <laughs> how can he stand side by side with us when I know how gross that pile is? How can he stand to bear it <laughs> and stand next to me like graciously like right loving me seeing my pile <laughs> guys the answer is because he already knows what's in there he's not surprised by the pile and last week we talked about that you know the reality is is that we have the pile right, of our past and present sins, but we also have what we kind of refer to as the dump trucks waiting 5, 10, 15, 25, 50 years down the road of our sin that's coming, and that that's just going to, you know, when the appropriate time is right, we'll come and just dump onto the pile. It never ends. And guys, here's the thing is that God already knows. He's the only one that knows what's in that pile right now, Right? My junk, 20 years down the road, he's the only one that knows what's in there. And he loves me despite that. So he's not threatened. He already saw it all. He already died for it all on the cross when he accepted us. It's why he came. He came to pay the penalty for the pile. <laughs> not just the pile we can see, but the pile that's waiting that we can't even see. To make a way for us to be in relationship with him without the overwhelming and defeating feeling of having to clean that pile up to be accepted and loved. That is grace. <laughs> that is getting what we don't deserve. And when we truly begin to accept that reality, we stop striving. And we stop trying to, to run this race that we're never going to win. And in a moment of unbelievable peace and wholeness, we actually rest. We rest. We're loved. Because as Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's done. I've taken care of it. And in that moment, we allow God's grace to be sufficient for our weakness he looks at us and he pulls us in close. <laughs> and he says, I love you. I'm crazy about you. And this pile that you're so worried about and that you're scurrying around every day trying to clean up, I've got that. I've got it. And when we believe this, 
truly believe that that's who God is, and that's who we are, accepted by him, arm in arm around us, we will actually love more and sin less. But the difference is, is that we'll be moved by grace and not trying to please him, trying to earn something we've already been given. We'll do it not so that God will love us more, but because he already loves us despite it all. Do you guys understand what we're talking about, the difference in your starting point? <laughs> when you wake up in the morning, right? We've talked about this before. Why do I pick my Bible up? Why do I pray? Why do I write the check to, you know, Compassion International, whatever? Not so that God will love me and be pleased with me, but because he already is, I'm motivated to do those things because I want to honor him with my life. I do it because I'm grateful that I don't have to do it to be loved by him. I'm grateful because I have the choice to live into that grace that's been given to me. Now, here's kind of the, the crapper, all right? This great message I just gave about the hope we have in grace. Here's the rough part. I wish that we only had to understand that once. The problem is, is that we have to make the decision to live on that path every single day. We have to wake up tomorrow. We might get it now when we leave and make a lot of really good decisions about, oh, okay, good, I can rest in that. I don't have to strive. And please, guess what? Tomorrow you're going to forget. Tomorrow you have to wake up and say, all right, all right, God loves me. He's standing with me, looking at my pile, working on it together. You've got to reframe it. Every single day. That's why we have to stay in a posture of desperate need to live into the grace that God has for us moment by moment. That's why when he taught us to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Today. Right? Because the pull back to pleasing God is a powerful one. We're going to talk about that the next few weeks. Why? Why wouldn't we stay on the trusting God path? It seems like an awesome path to be on, right? Because it's not about us and our performance, about what God's done for us. But guess what? Every single one of you this week will hop right back on over on the pleasing God path. Guarantee it. We can come back and you can share stories with me next week about how you did it. Okay? This will be exciting. All right? You can be a part of it. Awesome. All right? So, uh, guys, we're, we're talking about reorienting the way in which we go about living this life that some of us have been living for a long time. And some of us get this better than others. Um, we all have our different struggles with the, with the mind perspective on this, okay? But it's, we're going to get it. We're going to keep making sure that we're reframing it because it changes everything about what we think about God and ourselves and other people, okay? Um, and as we come to the table today, we're going to be reminded of God's grace for us. Right? The whole reason why he came and went to the cross and died is because we couldn't do it on our own. He made a way for us to live in this grace that we're talking about here today. It gives us so much freedom. Okay? So we're going to have some a time of silence. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to come down. We'll be dismissed by the ushers. If you're new, you can come and take a piece of bread, tear it off, and eat it. Um, we also have a gluten-free option down there at the end. Would you pray with us?